Well, it is uh, wonderful to be together, Hillcrest, and uh, we're so glad that you're staying engaged with us. I've been thinking a lot about the letters of Paul lately. Uh, he often writes of his longing to be with people in person, and in fact only sends letters because he can't be there in person. The very pages of the New Testament were second best to being there. So I think there's two things to keep in mind as we get started here this morning into the preaching of God's Word. God's Word can come to us through a letter or through a podcast, through a live stream. If you catch it later on YouTube, He can reach you where you are. His Word is that powerful. The other thing is that being with people is a delight and a joy and it should always be cherished and pursued wherever possible. See, Paul and the other New Testament writers, if they could have been there to be with their people, we might not have a New Testament. And perhaps uh, long into the future, believers will look back at all of the teaching that emerged during the global quarantine of 2020 and say, I am so thankful for all those churches that dared to go online for the first time. Now, I know we have a wide audience uh, with us this morning. Those of you who have been uh, believers for a long time, those of you who are believers, and those of you who are not, we um, are glad that you're here with us. Now, maybe you've been journeying with Hillcrest for a long time, or maybe just tuning in for the first time, and we're glad that you're here. Some of you are really terrified about what's going on, and are worried about what's going to happen next in our world. And some of you might still be rolling your eyes, watching memes go by, and waiting for it all to blow over. Uh, if you've been following along with us in the story, uh, we've been reading again uh, through a number of different passages. And uh, the reading from Mark here is so um, good for us to start. Again, Jesus in a boat in the middle of a storm, and his disciples are with him. And... I find it very fascinating that the disciples went from being scared of the storm to being terrified by the end of this little story. They were terrified, asking each other, who is this that even the wind and waves can obey him? And he stands up and says, quiet, be still. And he rebukes them and he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I think we should start by saying this morning, there will be storms. We are... Certainly not the first ones to face uncertain times. The threat of a contagious illness or economic turmoil. We are not the first ones to be restricted in our movement and contact. We are not the first ones to fear the future. Wondering what's going to happen next. There will be storms. Some will become quiet and still, but some storms won't break. See, the disciples' first thought was whether or not Jesus cared if they would drown in their storm. They were feeling the effects of the storm, perhaps like we're feeling the effects of our current day. They were wet and cold. They were getting knocked around. And they wake Jesus. And after he calms the storm, the disciples again go from fear to terror. One minute they are doubting if he cares in the middle of a storm. And the next everything is quiet and peaceful but they are not at peace. They are wrestling with the reality of who Jesus is. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, faith drives out fear. If they put their faith in Jesus, if they could see 
the real glory of who he was, if they really knew who it was that was with them in that boat, they would realize that he is Lord of the storm. Cold and wet and knocked about, even if they were overturned by the waves, even if they were under the water and they were never coming back up, even as their lungs were filled with water, if they died in that storm, if they saw Jesus for who he was, they would be at peace. He is Lord of the storm. He can speak and it will be calm, but sometimes storms don't break and yet we can find peace in him in the middle of a storm. Perhaps they ended up terrified because they realized that he didn't, um, sorry, because they realized that he did have the power over the storm. Perhaps uh, that was the most scary, scary thing about it. It was the moment that they realized that if he is Lord of the storm, he is also Lord of their lives. That they might at times be in a storm and at times enjoy the calm, but that he is Lord over all. As we consider this story, I also want us to consider the cross of Jesus Christ for a moment. All of evil, Satan and his demons, um, as well as the religious and political leaders conspired together to destroy Jesus on the cross. They wanted to bring it all to an end. And it didn't look very good. Many people lost hope. It seemed like everything was being shaken. Anyone who had been following was now on the run or in hiding. But God is always turning the plans of the enemy to steal, to kill, and destroy into something that demonstrates his resurrection power. He takes the cross and brings about the salvation of the world. He reveals that he has conquered sin and death. He has overcome the grave. Whatever plans the enemy has for the coronavirus, the Lord has a sovereign plan that he is working out. I feel prompted to say that everything that Satan is intent on destroying in the churches of Musha will be overthrown and God's resurrection power will be on display through his church multiplying his kingdom. Be encouraged. The Lord is on the move and every one of you has a part to play. So we're continuing our way through the story. A book that organizes the key parts of the Bible to read more like a novel in order to give the reader a grand perspective on the whole story. It is looking at the forest, not just the trees. One of the reasons why we thought we should do this particular series is because of um, the Gospel Fluency series that we did way back in the fall of 2018. Um, we need to understand Gospel themes throughout the whole of Scripture. The transformative power of the Gospel is not just in the Gospels in the New Testament, but all throughout the Bible. God's plan for salvation that started in Genesis, goes all the way through to Revelation. And we are transformed by its message and power. And by understanding these gospel themes throughout the Bible, we are able to understand ourselves in light of the gospel and also be able to bring the power of the gospel to others in our world. We've spent several months working our way through the Old Testament, and I hope these gospel themes are becoming more and more clear to you. We've now just entered the New Testament in the last few weeks. And uh, we've been, up until this point, been looking forward to the Messiah. But now, we are starting to see prophecies being fulfilled all over the place at a staggering rate as Jesus steps into history. Last week, Steve took us through Hebrews chapter 11. 
which is a, cha- a chapter filled with um, people who had great faith, kind of all throughout the Old Testament and New. They looked forward to what God was doing and lived remarkable lives because of it. And we have the chance to look back on what God has done in Jesus and can have even greater faith. We can even live more remarkable lives if we have an experience of the reality of Jesus and his willingness to give his life up for us and to die on the cross, we will be transformed more and more into his likeness and be able to play our part in sharing with others. Steve reminded us that in uncertain times, it is more critical than ever to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to also freely share our faith and our hope, our time, our means with others. So go back and catch the podcast if you missed it. This week, we are looking at Chapter 24 in the story, which is entitled, No Ordinary Man. And the image that you saw on the video screen there, or if you were here in our building, you'd see your posters up. We're still putting the posters up, by the way, even though many of you are not here, just because we think that's the right thing to do. And it shows Jesus in the midst of a storm. Uh, So powerful. Anyways, we have here in this particular chapter of the story, we have Jesus again walking on water, In the middle of the storm, we have several parables. The Sermon on the Mount, uh, of the parables, we have the sower and the seed. We have the mustard seed, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the sun. The feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus teaches, uh, where Jesus' teaching sends all but 12 away. And even though, again, that number of 5,000 was more like 15,000 because they only really counted families or the particular men that were there, there was probably 15, maybe 20,000 people present. By the end... It's 12 followers. But in the spring of last year, we went all the way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we won't take much time today to go over it. But here are some key points just to remind you. Jesus is not a model if he is not first your Savior and Lord. If you look at the teachings of Jesus, apart from the person of Jesus, they will only crush you. If you try to understand, or sorry, If you try to follow the teachings of Jesus but have no relationship with him, it is impossible. But if you understand that you are poor in spirit, needing a savior, and that he alone can save, you can begin to live a life by the power of the Holy Spirit that will begin to look like the life that he describes in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is our savior. He is our Lord. And then he can be our model for the lives that we live. So take a listen to the series that we've already done on the Sermon on the Mount, or even go back to our series that we did on Galatians, Jesus plus nothing, which really drives home this point. Okay, now we're going to dive into the idea of Jesus' parables and draw out a few significant themes, and then we're going to end with the challenge that, again, took a crowd from 20,000 to 12. So a parable is simply a story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. In Matthew 13, 10 to 16, it says this, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak in parables? And he replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak To them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. 
In them it is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. See, parables operate like a filter. For example, I could tell you the story of David and Goliath. And some might hear that the point of the story as if it was about embracing new methods and tactics. Rather than swords and spears and shields, we should all be using slings. And while sometimes it is true that we do need to adopt new ideas, new methods and tactics, ultimately the story of David and Goliath is about Jesus. One person steps forward to win the victory on behalf of everyone. See, David is like Jesus, and he won the victory on on their behalf. David is also like us. He obeyed the Lord, looked to him as his only source for salvation, and was saved. If we look to Jesus as our Savior, we will be saved. In Luke 24, 26, 27, it says, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It comes from, the again, Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, met two men and walked with them on the road to Emmaus, which was a town. And this is what he explained to them, that all the scriptures were concerning himself, that he's on every page of our Bibles. Many people miss that it is about Jesus. Some will only see the tips and tricks, the life hacks for a better life, and some will see Jesus. This seeing is not because we are better and more deserving, but it comes to us by God's mercy. And God's mercy is perhaps the most offensive of all of his qualities. You see, no one deserves his intervention his saving, his love, his grace, and yet he gives himself and all his benefits to some. Some people do take offense to that idea that he gives himself to some and not others. But I want you to consider this morning, instead of thinking about why not this person or this person, why haven't they embraced God? Why doesn't he reveal himself to them? Why don't they see? Instead, I think it's important for us to remember that mercy is first supposed to be experienced. Um, that we are supposed to think about why me first. Not why them or why them or why them. Why doesn't God just rip open the sky and reveal himself to everyone in a powerful way that would be undeniable. But first we are supposed to think as believers, why me? Why did he choose me? Why did he intervene in my life? And I believe if we start there, It'll be a long time before we get to wondering about others, about why not them. Not that you shouldn't. I talked to one person just thinking about, in all of that's going on right now, their major concern was their grandchildren, the ones that are not walking with the Lord and deeply desiring for them to connect with the Lord, to see. And I think there's a time when we should rise up and pray to reach in. But anyways, parables operate like a filter. They hold secrets And reveal them to only a few. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you meet us in your mercy? 
and give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Mark 4, uh, 1 to 20, we see the parable of the sower. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And when he was alone with the twelve and the others around him, they asked him about the parable, and he told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? And then he explains, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. The secret. What did the disciples have that everyone else didn't have? See, he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Jesus said, the secret to the kingdom. What is the secret? See, in Matthew it says secrets, but in Mark it says secret. And I think it's helpful to think about both. There are many things that do not make sense at first when you come to Christianity. And over time, all of those things start to become unlocked and understood. What is the secret that unlocks the kingdom in its fullness to our very limited minds? How do we see what can't be seen and hear what can't be heard? And it's a simple answer, often said as the Sunday school answer, and it's just simply often true, Jesus. The secret of the kingdom is Jesus. The secret to the kingdom of God is Jesus. If we see him, then we can see more. In uh, John 14, 9, Jesus answered, and he said, Do you know me? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Jesus just looks at his disciples 
And he can see from the look on their faces that they don't get the parable. They don't understand the sower and the seed. And he says to them, how will you understand any parable? And then he begins to teach them. And the secret reveals the secrets. And he says, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. On this note, it seems like he is giving the impression that God doesn't want certain people to hear or to be forgiven. But I think he's saying the exact opposite. If they saw Jesus as the secret that unlocked the kingdom, they would have the purest and most potent form of God the Father. If they could see that, they would turn and be forgiven. See, don't you see? That's what he longs for. That people wouldn't see a moral teacher or find religion or just get tips and tricks. The life hacks for better living here and now. He longs for people to see him. To see his glory. And the disciples had that experience. John 1 and 14 says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son. One or who came from the father full of grace and truth. The disciples had the secret. They had the key. But it wasn't a thing. It was a person. It was Jesus. If you don't first go to him, the Sermon on the Mount will crush you. And the parables will always be a bit of a mystery. They might even offend you. But if you go to him first, he will open your eyes and ears to the abundant life. So here's the explanation of the sower and the seed. The farmer sows the, sows the word. Some people like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away what was sown. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, and 100 times what was sown. There's four kinds of soil. How are we supposed to use these four kinds of soil? Is it just the odds, in a very general sense, to say that 25% of people are good soil and the rest aren't? Is this a personal diagnostic tool to assess our spirituality and seek to move towards being a good soil kind of person? Or is it tactical information for sowers, information for those who are trying to do kingdom planting? I think the answer to all of these questions is yes. So let's take a look at them. The odds. The reality is some people are hardened to the gospel message. And Satan's work in their life is powerful and destructive. It's simply a reality that we can see if we look throughout history up until our day. Some people never embrace, embrace Christianity. And there are many who do walk away. There was an article writ, written several years ago. Uh, it was called Hemorrhaging Faith. It outlined about, how, outlined about how one in four people who claim to be Christians when they're young people eventually walk away from it as they are emerging into adulthood. Perhaps that is the seed among the rocks. 
But again, I don't think we should get mad at God. Remember, he is the sower and the seed. And he doesn't just sow in good soil. See, again, a farmer would look at this and think, why isn't the farmer thinking more carefully about where he puts his seed? And yet here, the farmer is throwing his seed, almost recklessly, sowing seed everywhere. But see, Jesus is the sower and the seed. He scatters seed everywhere, and he is also the seed that fell to the ground in death, so that by his sacrifice there would be many seeds. Again, John 12, 24 says this, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. See, don't be mad at God, but you should take up arms against the enemy. He is the one that is working overtime to keep people from hearing the word. He has a strategy and a plan for every single person. He wants to keep unbelievers in their doubts, and he wants to keep Christians from doing anything about it. So take a stand. Don't be mad at God, but take a stand against the enemy. Start and end your day in prayer. And pray all throughout. Pray for yourselves. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids. Pray for your family. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your church. Pray for your government. Pray for your city, your province, your nation. Pray for boldness. Pray prayers of blessing. Pray your kingdom come until it comes. The diagnostic, what kind of soil am I? How do we know what kind of soil we are? Let's try to shed some light on this. The soil on the path. If you're the soil on the path, you just don't get Christianity. Until now, it's never been explained or it doesn't make sense to you. It doesn't seem true to you. You are ever seeing but never perceiving, never hearing but never understanding. My encouragement is this, start with Jesus. Remember, he is the secret that unlocks the secrets. The soil among the rocks. Without a root, you will only last a short time. Rootedness is a critical element, but it's not complicated. A rooted person knows the Bible and puts the principles of the Bible into action immediately. And a rooted person lives in community and service with other believers. And yes, digitally counts. How can you tell the difference between a person who is rocky soil and who is good soil? Roots and time. So first, add more Bible to your life and commit to the community of faith. And second, go long. Keep going, never give up. Sometimes it's incredibly hard to keep going. Jesus always reminded people that there was a cost to following him. Now, how many of you in our worship services have heard um, Tammy, while she was leading worship, say something like, God is good, expecting that we would all shout out all the time. I think we need to add one more to encourage a few people. It was coined by Winston Churchill, and it goes like this. If you're going through hell, keep going. Never give up. Don't stay in hell. Keep moving through. Press on. Keep going. And in the end, you will find yourself a rooted person. The soil among weeds. Beware of the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. 
Let's stop on these three. The worries of this life. How many of you in the last few weeks have been worried? How many of those worries are tied to this life? Money, investments, employment, paychecks, savings, that's all this life. Possessions, your car, your house, your toilet paper, all this life. Your health, this life. Now again, I mentioned earlier that one person in all of this was thinking mostly of their grandchildren and wanting them to experience and be able to walk with the Lord, not only in this life, but all the way through eternity. That's eternal thinking. That's the right kind of thing to be thinking about and praying about. I heard a preacher once say he was facing brain cancer, surgeries, tumor in his head. And he said this while preaching. 10,000 years from now, a lot of this won't matter one bit. And that's eternal thinking. The deceitfulness of wealth. Notice it doesn't say the unimportance of wealth. It says the deceitfulness of wealth. Your money might be lying to you. Your house might be lying to you. Your business might be lying to you. Deceit is always complex. There's lots of complexity to the lies. What lies might your wealth be telling you? We've already heard that money, investing paychecks, that's all the worries of this life. But it's such a big deal that it has its own category of bad soil. If you've ever thought, if only, and the pathway forward was through money and not through the person, power, and will of God, this might be a problem for you. Remember, Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil. The desire for other things. The human heart is an idol factory. We are worshipers at heart and if we do not focus all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength on God, we will focus it on something else. Anything can become an idol. And remember that every idol becomes a master. Jesus is the only master who doesn't enslave. And the good soil. If you are good soil, good soil produces more seed. Now we move into tactical information for sowers. This is, again, because good soil reproduces. There should always be multiplication in the life of a good soil person. Good soil produces more seed that can be planted. Seed must die in order to multiply. Remember that Jesus is both the sower and the seed. He scatters everywhere and he gives up his life so that many will come into the kingdom. Perhaps you have thought of yourself as a good soil kind of person. I know I often have. So here's three questions to really evaluate. Are you producing? Is his word transforming your heart? Is it multiplying within you? Are you more patient now than last year? Are you more insightful, more gracious? Is his word becoming a power in your life to meet the challenges of each day and overcome? Are you scattering? Is your love on display, on the path where it seems like no one even notices or even cares? Remember that seeding is up to us, but growth is up to the work of the Holy Spirit. Another parable that Jesus tells is the parable of the growing seed. 
This is Mark 4, 26. And he also said, the kingdom, or this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, and night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it, because the harvest has come. You never know exactly where what's going to happen when you plant, even when you plant in those places where it seems like it's being ignored. Again, God does a work beyond what we can see or understand. Are you scattering among the rocks where it seems like there is no root? And for all your self-sacrifice, it might not last. I often think of the volunteers at Joe's Place who are investing in the lives of many people and many of them are exposed to Christianity and some for time say, I think this is me. But again, they might not have a root, a community of faith or biblical knowledge to help guide them. Are you investing there? Are you scattering among the weeds where people's whole way of life is choking their faith but they can't see it? In this season, it's obvious to your digital and physical neighbors that you are salt and light, preserving and protecting. Are you illuminating the darkness? Not just illuminating people, illuminating people about the latest COVID-19 info, but illuminating the darkness with hope. That in Christ we have peace. That all the worries of this life can be washed away in light of who he is and what he's done for us. Are you giving up your life? Throughout the Gospels, Jesus invites people to consider the cost. There is a sacrifice that we make for him and for his kingdom. It's an infinitely small cost compared to what we receive in return. But there is a cost. We might have to fall to the ground and die. But if we do, we might produce many seeds. If we're going to see his kingdom multiply, we are going to have to continue to make the choice to give up our lives for his sake. Not just in death, but in being a living sacrifice. We must become like Christ, who first emptied himself and came to us. He walked among us and then gave up his life for us. That is a love that we need personally, and also the, the love that our world needs. If you are a believer joining us this morning, we are inviting you to be a seed. To fall to the ground, to be scattered so that there can be multiplication. See, a couple of weeks ago even, Hillcrest was one house of worship, and now we are dozens. We've lost one site to worship, but now we are worshiping, and the word of God is being preached in many houses of worship. Not that we don't want to add back 1550 Main Street when we get the chance, but we don't want to lose sight of seeing our church expand through multiplication. We want many places of worship. One church growing, expanding, and multiplying. We want to use every resource that we have to accomplish that goal. We need to multiply leaders and multiply opportunities. We need less spectators, more people engaged in the mission of seeing his work done in our world. See, the early church was scattered like seed, and his kingdom expanded from city to city, nation to nation. We believe as a church that we need to shift gears See, we've been in gear for almost 100 years, but now we are being called to shift gears and begin to multiply. We believe that Hillcrest, is, is, uh, though it has its challenges, is really a good soil kind of church. And we want to see our numbers grow. Something like 30, 30 and 60 and 100 times. We want to see thousands of people come into his kingdom 
And if you think it's a bold claim to say something like that, remember that our church mission statement for years now has been that we strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Christ. If we were the last church, the last Christian outpost for the gospel, we would be talking about becoming a church of millions, of billions. Thankfully, there are thousands of other churches out there. And many of them are eagerly pursuing becoming a multiplying church as well. As we wrap up today, I just want us to meditate on John chapter 6. And I'll try to sum this up uh, quickly as we come to end. And I'll invite the worship team to kind of come back now as we get ready to finish. In John chapter 6, it's the story of first Jesus feeding the 5,000. Again, he takes um, something very small. It multiplies he has compassion on this very large crowd and he feeds them. But then, after this kind of supper time meal happens, Jesus disappears. And uh, the next day they wake up and they go looking for Jesus. When they finally find him, uh, he's on the other side of the lake. And they're asking him about where, you know, how he got here and what time he got here. And Jesus, discerning their hearts, he says this. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So they ask him questions about, well, what exactly is the work that we have to do? And they keep pressing about the idea of a sign. Finally, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. See, they couldn't see Jesus. All they could see was the miracles that he could do. They were thinking about their bellies. They thought, well, that was a really great supper. That was a miracle meal. And uh, wouldn't it be great to have a, a miracle breakfast as well? And they won't see Jesus for who he really is. And he becomes seemingly harder and harder on them, pressing the point that it was about him, about his life, that he was real flesh and real blood there in front of them, that he had come to reveal the Father and also to die for them. But they kept missing the point. Eventually, as he drives the point further and further home, and they, as they just will not see that it is about him, eventually they begin to walk away. And uh, they become offended. They leave on hearing it. Many of the disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then Jesus realizes that his 12 disciples were also grumbling. And he wonders if they're going to leave also. And he says, you do not want to leave me too, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I think as we just consider that story about, again, a crowd starting with 20,000 people and eventually being 12, um, there will be many people who will miss Jesus. They won't see him for who he is. They won't see his glory. But I pray that each of us will have that revelation of who he is, that we won't try to take or settle for something less than who he is, seeing his glory, experiencing who he is, having our eyes fixed on 
him alone, seeing our whole world in light of who he is and what he's done. Um, we wouldn't question if we saw the glory of God, do you even care if we drowned? But instead, we would become like a seed. We would give up our lives and we would see great multiplication, an expanding kingdom and a marvelous move of God. As we close today, let me just pray for you and then we're going to sing one more song and then uh, we wish you all the best uh, this week. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, as we consider your word this morning, so many times people were missing the point that it was about you. Some people go to the Sermon on the Mount and they miss you and it becomes a crushing load, an impossible task. So many people go to the parables and they don't see that you are the sower, that you are the seed. They don't understand that you are the great treasure. Jesus, help us to really see, help us to perceive, help us to hear. Father, and would you help us to be the kind of seed that would make sacrifices, self-sacrifices, so that we could um, see your kingdom grow and expand. In the same way that you came to us, would you send us, however we can, to our people, to our friends, to our networks, however that goes over the next few weeks in digital form or whatever it might be, and just meeting needs of neighbors, being aware of what's going on in our city, being your salt and your light. Help us to be a good soil kind of people, a good soil kind of church, something that is worthy um, to see your multiplication happen and growth. We pray that over this next um, few days and weeks and months that we would see many more people come into your kingdom as they are faced with uh, realities of life and the fear that may come. I pray that people would embrace you, that they would see you for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. We just want to bless you and say thank you for engaging with us and, and tuning in. Feel free to leave more comments and to continue uh, to uh, chat online. And again, remember our uh, church phone number. We've got a number of people kind of standing by. If you want to pray with somebody, you can call in and you can pray with them. They would love to do that. We're going to finish with one more song and then uh, you can all go back to your uh, lives. Bless you this week.